again to the Sin Essential podcast. My name is Aaron Pinkston. I'm the editor and editor at thesinessential.com. With me tonight, just uh, her and me today, this is Sarah Gore. Sarah, how are you? Well, I'm just a wilting like a desert flower. Let me get my mint julep. Uh, wow, that was as good as the real thing. This is how I always talk. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> so tonight we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about Gone with the Wind, 1939, directed by Victor Fleming, uh, one of the American canon films. I, I I think it's it's pretty safe to say, and and that'll guide a lot of I think of our conversation tonight. Um, so why don't we just get right into it? Because I think. This hopefully should be a pretty interesting conversation that we'll have. So, Sarah, you watched Gone with the Wind for the first time, correct? Just just this past week. Is that right? Uh, yeah, and so I'm not going to talk like that the whole time. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> well, you already had to get four hours of it, so yeah. <laughs> that's probably enough. Uh, so what, why don't you go ahead and start and talk about uh, what your expectations were going into seeing it for the first time, and then how those expectations were met or not met. Yeah, so I had a couple of key uh, key expectations, just, just a handful of things that I was expecting. I thought that it would get boring. I thought that I would probably appreciate the technical aspects of the movie. Um, and I definitely thought it was going to be racist. But I thought it was going to be racist in this, like, I'm super liberal. I spend a lot of time studying like intersectionality and feminism. Like I read a lot of that. So I was like, I'm sure it's like got some base level racism, but I bet it's going to be like my extra intellectual knowledge of it is going to be what makes me irritated. It's not going to be this like, I don't know. I have no idea why I thought this, by the way, I have, I like, I don't know where I got this from. I think Uh I just made it up because the other key thing is, I am 30 years old. I studied film in school. I did not know what this movie was about. Hmm. Okay. Or, like at all. I was okay. like, Rhett and Scarlett, they are together or, or not. I don't really know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think they like each other. But anyway, yeah. so I, was, I was wrong about all of it. Uh, <laughs> I was actually fairly engaged like the whole time. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, checking the clock. I wasn't like, you know, rolling my eyes or, you know, wanting to, you know, burst out the window and leave like a Sarah shaped hole in the wall. Um, <laughs> I was blown away by how beautiful it was. Yeah. Like totally blew, like just blew my mind. I was like, Oh my God, this is gorgeous. And then um, this is the most racist movie I have ever seen in my life no like i have you seen birth of a nation what have you seen the birth of a nation honestly no that's the only reason that i could say this is this is birth Birth of a nation 2 is this the sequel because what (laughs) the fuck i i because I've heard people talk about how good it is, and I was like, "How can you fucking talk about how good this movie is?" Because all yeah. that matters is that it is like, it's fucking, it's crazy. 
we'll get more into that later. Yeah, because, yeah. We, uh, I think uh, it probably would uh, be a good idea to get in, to to get into a little bit more of that. Um, yeah, because I want you to talk about because uh, I don't know how how many times you've seen the seen the film yeah. or what context you saw it in. I have really no special connection to Gone with the Wind either. Uh, I, I've seen I've seen it before. Um, a long, long time ago, uh, probably like, I don't know, when I was really kind of coming into my budding cinephile-ness uh, when I was around 20 years old or so. Um, but I didn't really remember a lot of the specifics of the film, so I was definitely interested in rewatching it. And I think that I don't disagree with you too much on anything that you just said. Which maybe is kind of a bummer that uh, Felicia, who is the our lead contributor this week, she wrote our opening statement. This is one of her uh, one of her like touchstone films for becoming a film lover. Um, when we had our week where we all wrote our personal essays about how we got into film, this is the film that she highlighted. Uh, and to sort of paraphrase what, what she had said, you know, this is a film that she discovered when she was uh, very young and connected to it, connected to Scarlett O'Hara in particular, I, I believe, uh, in a lot of the sort of the, the costuming, the just sort of grandeur, everything about it. And I can totally understand that perspective, uh, even though that isn't how I have approached this film or how the film has worked on me. Uh, so I think that's kind of interesting. And, and I think that maybe you too had sort of this particular drawback that, you know, where I think when we finally caught up and, and saw this film and had revisited the film most recently, you know, we were kind of really approaching it on a much different level than I think people who, who most of the people who I feel really fell in love with this movie, either back in 1939 or, you know, people who people like Felicia who found it at a young age and yeah. was sort of just totally wrapped up in it. Uh, I think that that, is, you know, those are two very different ways to see the film. And I think that may have had a particular effect on, on how we view it now. Yeah. I like this, this movie is like, especially like, white girls that love this movie, which is, I feel like, many of the core audience here for this movie. Uh, it's like the definition when you flip to the dictionary and you're like, what is a problematic fave? It's just like a picture of the cover of this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which, like, literally everybody has that. Nobody is supposed to be perfect. And, like, all you have to do to, like, reconcile, like, your, you know, favorite thing or whatever is to, like, recognize its many flaws. Mm -hmm. And so, and, like, knowing Felicia, like, of course she has like a more nuanced approach to it. Like obviously. And then I like to throw in my own problematic fave. Like I love Woody Allen's Manhattan. And like he, date, yeah. he dates a child in it. So I feel like I probably shouldn't like that one, but I yeah. super do. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, I just, you know, I just didn't want anybody to think that I like, if you do like this movie that I like think you're a terrible person or something, but right. uh, yeah. So sorry in advance, I'm about to kind of uh, shit all over it a little bit. Before before we get there, before we really get into the weeds, let's maybe focus a little bit on the, the positive aspects of the movie. Um, because, I mean, obviously this is, as I 
sort of mentioned in the introduction to the film, I mean, this is one of the considered in the canon of American film. It's uh, considered one of the, the great, you know, films ever made. So there are obviously are reasons for that. Um, so let, let's at least, you know, talk a little bit about some of those aspects on, on why it is sort of endured and why it became sort of a huge cultural touchstone. Um, yeah, as you already had, as you had mentioned that, I mean, the movie is gorgeous. It's, it is the, the way it is made. Uh, I mean, it's pretty much larger than life. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's one of those very epic movies, obviously the length uh, the four-hour runtime plays into that as well, uh, and we definitely got to talk about the length uh, specifically. But um, I, I, one of the first things I ever really remember about this film are in like my film 101 textbook. Like I don't know if it was the chapter on lighting or cinematography, or I don't remember. It may have just been like an introductory chapter on like the history of film or something. I'm not sure, but I remember seeing these images from the film where it was uh, like a two shot of Scarlet and Rhett and just everything around them was in this like reddish orangish light. Uh, and it was just, it's just like an astounding image. Uh, and I think an image that, that lasts and that that's definitely one of the, that particular scene of the film, which comes about the midway point, I think right before the intermission, is just like absolutely gorgeous. But the, the movie is kind of filled with, uh, with sort of dazzling touches like this um, throughout, even though I don't know if there's a, like many particular shots or camera movements or uh, images that I can absolutely I, recall. I've, but, got, I've got a list. Okay. Go for it. Yeah. So there's two. I think it, the first time is kind of like the end of like part one ish or so, or the beginning yeah. of kind of part two. And then the last one is obviously like the very final shot. So that's that yes. scarlet, like backlit, like a black silhouette looking out over her land. It's just like a painting. It's one of the most beautiful like things I've ever seen. Like if that was a photo, I would frame it and hang it on my wall. Yeah. Um, then that whole scene where uh, Atlanta is burning. Yes. Um, that is just like, I, everybody that has ever filmed like fire since then is like, you, you don't know what you're doing. This movie knew what it was doing. Cause I was just like, I, oh my God, I was just really couldn't get over it. I was like, I love that. It's like a very clear stylistic choice. It's not just like, well, uh, we don't really know how to show fire. So we'll just use some orange lights. It's like, no, it's very purposeful and it's gorgeous. And then my third one, because these are all points where I like stopped and was just like, oh my God. Like that was usually the only note I wrote mm -hmm. uh, when these scenes came up. Uh, the third one is when, um, oh shoot, what is her friend's name that's super nice to her and Scarlett's a total bitch to her the whole time? Uh, her, the cousin, the yes. played by, yeah, played by um, uh, Olivia de Havilland, yes. I believe. Um, it, Yes, mm. Ashley's wife. I can't think of her name off the top yeah, of my head. But we're all terrible. But that's fine. yeah. That's uh, fine. <laughs> she. Uh, I think it's when she's sick, maybe or pregnant. I don't remember what the case is, but it's yes. that uh, again. They're backlit, and they're these um, slatted 
like either blinds or not maybe not blinds. I don't think they had those, but like uh, the slats of like the windows mm-hmm. and the curtains, and it's just like this orange light outside and like hazy sunset light, and then they're all backlit and it's just all these beautiful shadows. Um, again, like if that was a painting, I would hang it on my wall. And mm-hmm. I think all I wrote was just like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that is all pretty unquestionable. Um, and then I think though, the, I don't think the, the actual details of the plot are particularly interesting or memorable, but I think two things. I think one, there's a lot of characters in this movie who have become, uh, sort of canonized. Obviously, Scarlett O'Hara and Rhett Butler, uh, the two main characters, uh, are you know they're they're in the pantheon uh, of uh, of of all time movie characters for sure. And I think that a lot of people have uh, identified in one way or another, or were aspired to be you know uh, something like them. Uh, and then I think that just the entirety of the epic quality of the film, again, the runtime, just how big the emotions are, everything is sort of like, you hear that term that people use when they're, they're referring to a film like this as sweeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that for some reason, that's, that's a word that really comes to mind when thinking of just the bigness of, of, of this film. And, and I think that, I mean, that, I think that that deserves some sort of credit. I mean, mm-hmm. in and of itself, it isn't necessarily a positive quality, but I think just the, the very nature, the very nature of how epic this, uh, the story and the film production were, uh, I think, uh, is, you know, it deserves yeah. credit. I think we can, uh, use that to kind of pivot to something I think you were probably uh, going to want to talk about um, or that we should, we should talk about is that uh, this, this movie, this movie is four hours long. Yes. I watched two and a half hours of this movie and I was like, there's like a whole movie left of movie to watch. Yeah. yeah. That is crazy. Uh, yeah. But this just feels like, when people would go when going out to the movies was like more of an event like this is the kind of movie that like make, makes that mentality make sense not just because it's so long and it's like your your that's your whole day that's your whole night right. um but you know the the opening music the intermission the like exit music and the you know the little like the little pauses and stuff you just feel like you know I, this feels like something that I would get dressed up and like go out to go see. And this would be my whole evening. And I don't think I'd be, you know, aside from reasons that we'll discuss later, I wouldn't be mad about it. Like on a surface level of seeing like a spectacle like this. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I just like, it feels very different from the way going to movies is today, which is something that my husband and I talk about a lot where we get very frustrated when audience kind of go to a movie and they just sort of stare it down like, well, entertain me. What do you got? Yeah. It's just this kind of like combative stance where you're just like, you're, you're not at actually doing any of the work to like try and appreciate the movie or approach it where it's coming from or, you know, like really like carve out some time to like sit and think about it and decide like, how do I really feel about this? You're just sort of like, well, are you going to 
Mm-hmm. Do what I want you to do or not. Mm-hmm. Um, not that everyone does that, but that, that I feel like that's a lot more common now, maybe. Yeah, I I don't know if this was really considered. Well, I don't think it was like the first big event film. Like I think some of Griffith's movies kind of had that same effect, yeah. but but absolutely. Like I mean, this from what I understand and sort of the enduring legacy of, I mean, obviously like the idea that adjusted for inflation, like this is one of the, it's either first or second all time in terms of like box office as as far as we can tell Um, how it, you know, there are theaters that still today will show it like every weekend down in the South. Um, I mean, this, yeah, like you said, this is a movie that I think, people theater goers in 1939 were going to you know as like a particular like uh uh i don't want to say the word event again but you know it it was something that they um they made a whole thing to do to go to the movie theater and see this movie and many probably did many times uh and then from what i understand too i think the length also and in some of like the episodic nature of the film also kind of works in how people consume movies too back way back when where a theater just kind of played the movie a couple of times over the day and you kind of just people came and went like people would show up they they wouldn't necessarily stay for the whole movie or maybe they would show up and it would be like halfway through the movie and then kind of stay through to the end and then maybe stay you know, at the beginning of the next film, um, you know, the, the next thing that, that showed. So uh, I think that that really plays well into it. And I was definitely thinking about, like, if this, if, like, in an alternate universe where maybe Gone with the Wind was never made in 1939, or, or even if it were, like, remade today, um, or, like, the book was adapted and not necessarily a straight remake of the film, like, how different that would be produce uh if if they were a theatrical film a theatrical film it would probably be like conceived as a trilogy mm-hmm. uh even though like big melodramas like this aren't really the kind of you know the action or like teen drama or superhero movies that are conceived in that way but there's no way that they would make this just one movie just for financial reasons um or it would be like a prestige drama on television uh, which I think would actually kind of be really an interesting way to see the show or see this, you know, this, uh, see this story in, in like a, like 13 episode, like, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if it would like suit HBO, but you know, some sort of prestige drama on TV where one of the interesting things I think with the film is there are, even though it's four hours long, there are a lot of big gaps, um, from time to time. Like, yeah. There might be a scene, and then the next scene, it's jumped, like, a year or more, even. Um, so, yeah, I think there's... And I've never read the book, but I, I bet there's a lot more story that you could you could kind of bring out here. So I, I feel like that would be an interesting way, and I feel if it were made today, that that's probably what they would want to do with it. Not make a four-hour film, which is almost never done anymore. And if it is, it's only for, like, the most esoteric sort of art cinema or it's something that was a well yeah but obviously that was three you know that was three movies uh 
or uh, like something that was made like on, for European television that was like you know like a four episode thing that they brought in just put in the movie theater here. Um, yeah, so it, it. I mean, it's not easy to watch a four hour movie out in one setting, especially a movie like this and not seeing it in a theater. Yeah, I mean, I, will, I feel. Uh, I will happily yeah. admit. Uh, it is pretty difficult because I uh, did not. I did not do that. I watched it over two days. <laughs> yeah, I watched it in two chunks over one day. But still, like, I feel like if I ever got the chance to see it in the theater, I feel it would definitely be a different experience, and I would probably get a little bit more out of it than I did. I uh, I found myself yeah. wishing, especially at the most beautiful uh, parts, that I was watching it like in seventy millimeter on the big screen. Yeah. Uh, although, um, and we can jump to this later on after, I don't want to, don't want you to lose your train of thought, but, uh, I probably would have been escorted out for less than halfway through for screaming at the screen, uh, things like, fuck you. And also, <laughs> let's, good. let's just get into it. There's a lot of, me, <laughs> there's a lot of like Atlanta burning and me going, good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, you're so, losing. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. let's just get into let's just go ahead and get into it then. So um why don't you go ahead and, and and maybe be a little bit more specific of one or two things that were particularly uh damning damning yeah. for you and uh, we can go from there. Because uh so I think a lot of my assumption about like where, you know, it's a movie, it's nineteen thirty nine, Hollywood and America was crazy racist so i thought it was going to be like oh you know hattie mcdaniel is going to be in a really stereotypical role and she's not going to get actually a ton to do and there's probably not going to really be any other black people in this movie about the civil war in the south where very many black people were mm -hmm. <laughs> like uh and instead this movie just like offended me on a cellular level with like <laughs> So obviously that's all kind of, you know, of a piece that's just all old Hollywood movies. Anybody that even remotely tries to have like any kind of people of color in the movie at all. Mm -hmm. Depiction is probably not going to be great. You're going to have a hard time finding anything decent. That's just, that's the history of cinema in Hollywood. So, mm -hmm. but so much more than that, this movie is obsessed with how hard it was for the Confederates to lose. Yeah. And it's such a tragedy in the mind of this movie. Like, yeah. it's just like, oh, it was so awful and it was so terrible. And I'm not gonna say like, obviously any war, both sides suffer a lot. Like that is that is true. Uh, losing sides often suffer much more than the winning side because that's how war works. Like, I'm not gonna dispute any of that, but just how, like this movie like wants to cry a fucking river over it. Like it's <laughs> like the worst thing in the world that ever happened was that black people didn't get to be owned anymore. Like boo hoo, except the movie goes a step further. And there are two scenes that I want to call out. One is after just like all kinds of real racist nonsense. That was really just like making me lose my mind. It has the gall, the gall, to show people in chains, but not black people. Mm -hmm. People in chains are white Southern Confederate men. 
Right. And it lingers over this shot. It's just like, oh, isn't this terrible? And then Scarlett and Ashley have this conversation where Ashley is like horrified that Scarlett is, you know, considering using this kind of labor in her business. And she's like, well, you didn't mind so much when you had slaves. And Ashley says, and I quote, oh, Scarlett, we didn't treat them that way. Oh my yes. God, literally <laughs> fuck you forever. That's bullshit. That's one of the single most damaging lies that there is the benevolent slave master, that there was some scenario where you were, could argue that it was okay that he owned people because mm -hmm. it's not, it's not fucking okay. And also like, I'm sorry, there are way more black people in chains in Atlanta than there were fucking white people. Like that's just, and you didn't show it. Like, I was just like, this is like one of like the, this is the image of slavery and you took it away from black people and you gave it to Confederates. Like that is, is crazy offensive. Yeah, they, oh. they, if, if you if you hadn't mentioned oh the the conversation between Scarlett and Ashley at that point, I, I that was definitely one that that stood out to me as well. Uh, and then just sort of similarly, um, so the, the O'Hara family they have they have many slaves in, in the film, but they're they're sort of two that are most prominent. Uh, at least two women who are most mm -hmm. prominent, which are uh, Hattie McDaniel's Mammy, who we've mentioned, uh, and then also uh, Butterfly McQueen, which is a fantastic name. The best name uh, ever. Played a character named Prissy. Uh, and pretty much the, the before the Civil War ended and the after Civil War ended, like, the status of these two characters don't change at all. Yeah. Um, which, it, I mean, it's sort of interesting in two different ways. One, it kind of says, like, well, when they were slaves, it wasn't really all that bad. They were just basically like maids, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but then after the fact, once they are then, quote-unquote, free, uh, they, they pretty much don't have any, really, any um, uh, reason or yeah. any, you know, any self... Um, What's the word I'm trying to think of? I'm not sure, but like, like it's like like they basically the their status and, hasn't changed yeah. at all, and it's like or the they don't care. Being they don't care that, that while being owned by Scarlet was just so dope that like why right. would you want to do anything else? Right, and it's just, it's just the fact that these are the only depictions we actually see of like any of the you know black people in the movie that actually have like speaking lines and names and like any sort of semblance of a character they all just love working for scarlet who is a raging asshole to them like yes. she is not nice even a little bit she's right. just kind of a dick the whole time <laughs> So you don't yes. even have this like very loving, you know, mother daughter like oh my mom's busy and you know you're you're like raising me basically so I really look up like no there's like none of that at, like the basically at all she's just yeah it's it's not even like that it's just yeah. <laughs> Scarlet screaming at them she like slaps Prissy in the face because. I don't even remember. It's like Prissy doesn't know how to deliver a baby. And I'm like, bitch, neither do you. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's sort of a, yeah, that's definitely a troubling scene. And I think the, the Prissy character in general, 
uh, it's it's not really the most positive depiction of, Putting it lightly. Uh, of a black woman at the time. Um, I mean, Hattie McDaniel, obviously, like the Mammy character became uh, a fixture uh, mm-hmm. and she sort of became the, the most um, sort of iconic representation of that. And of course, Hattie McDaniel won an Oscar for this role, which was, yeah. you know, a groundbreaking historical moment mm-hmm. um, and uh, something that I know will be talked about on the site more this week. Um, and I, I'm not exactly even sure what to think of that fact. Uh, totally. It's, it's for sure weird. Like, I don't, yeah. I, because... I want to preface it by saying I in no way want to like diminish her achievement there. It's exactly. Not, I mean, she is working with the script that she was given. She does a great job portraying the character she was asked and hired to portray. Like she's killing it. And you can't, you just can't erase the fact that she was the first person. She was the first black woman to win. She was the first black person to win. Like right. that's amazing. We'll. I don't want to do anything to disparage that at all. But at the same time, you're also just like movie, <laughs> movie yeah. in Hollywood. Like, what are you doing? I think in you know in a way, and, and there's obviously a much bigger argument than what I've really thought through here. But it sort of normalizes that type of role. Mm-hmm saying you know like this we can we can hold hey hollywood we can hold this up as one of the best performances of the year or whatever um so like we can keep making these kinds of rules for for black women and that's okay um and then on the other hand you have you have chrissy uh now in sort of contrast to the hattie mcdaniel character who is definitely a uh, you know, she's as much as she can be sort of a strong figure in, in the role of this family. Um, Prissy, on the other hand, who I, I, I think is like supposed to be like very, like a young woman. I'm not sure though the actress seems much older than the character is supposed to be, or the character is just supposed to be like infantile, even though she's I, an adult. I'm not sure. I think, I think it's the second one, unfortunately. Like the way yeah. I, I was doing a little bit of reading, and from what I could gather, it's basically like she's an idiot, right? And but does her job good to okay, so the keeper. But she's just like <laughs> stupid. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. That's I mean, it's it's a it's a problematic character for sure, and I think is one of the on the face value of the film like one of the 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 biggest black marks um on it um why don't we transition a little bit and we can definitely talk more about race or about some of these issues that you have but uh why don't we transition into some of the other characters in the film um i want i know exactly where i want to start unless you have a preference right no do it uh i want to talk about clark gable yeah and I'll start with my favorite revelation from watching this movie, which was I was spent, I want to say a good 75% of it being like, so he was a sex symbol, huh? <laughs> and I was just sort of like, I mean, it's not like he looks crazy, but I was just like, I, I don't know. And then uh, I think he is sobbing over maybe the death of their child. And I was like, I get it. Yeah, actually, okay. I super get it now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I did actually kind of, I did actually kind of think like the, the way his costuming and his hair work is is done in the film. Like, yeah, I was like, he isn't quite as handsome as I remember him in like other movies. Um, 
like he's kind of like old, looks kind of old and grizzled and i think that might be just sort of some of the makeup and yeah. um and the hair and everything but like i i think about him in I think of him in something like It Happened One Night, which is only like five years before Gone with the Wind, but he looks so like boyish and handsome. Not boyish isn't the right word, but he's he has sort of like a fresh face to him, but he but he also is like very masculine and manly. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of an interesting thing to say say right off the bat. Yeah. I kind of I do kind of have did kind of have the same sort of idea but exactly because i I um, forgot that i've seen uh it happened one night as well i forgot that that was him (laughs) yeah it's not that he looks that different but i also i'm surprised that that was only you know five years before and not like a decade before right um but i mean he's great like he can act he does a fantastic (laughs) job his character is maybe the most fun in the movie I uh, in terms of like the lines he gets, the things he gets to say, what he gets to do, just his general like bemusement at Scarlet's uh, assholery, and he just like finds it so endearing that she's such a dick all the time. I love that. That's great. Yeah, that that was absolutely. I mean, that was how I felt about his character too. Because, and we'll we can talk more about Scarlet O'Hara, but she and I, I actually think it's not. Like, I think it's on the face value of the film. Like, I don't think a lot of her qualities you're really supposed to like. Um, I mean, maybe some of them, but I think, you know, I, I think the film kind of realizes that she can be kind of petulant. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, his place in the film is really to come in and just kind of show her what's what <laughs> a lot of the times. To, to be the really the only person that will really call her on her shit. Yeah. Um, to really kind of, but, but then again, he's not always like the most positive character either. I mean, sometimes you, you can kind of go a little far in, in the way that he, he makes fun of her or, you right, know, so. go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> we, yeah, I think you, I can, you can definitely put, put it that way. That. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if it, it's just because I am a, I don't know if it's just my like male privilege or just my personal perspective, but it was definitely fun watching him kind of just dress her down a little bit when she absolutely needed, (laughs) needed it. Uh, And then obviously at the, the end of the very last line of the film, uh, which is the most famous line in the film, uh, frankly, I don't give a damn. uh, It's sort of the culmination of that. Uh, and obviously where the relationship ends up. I, I actually actually was a little surprised by uh, not really remembering that the movie doesn't really end happily, though no. the very, very end, Scarlet, they kind of give her, like, a little bit of hope. <laughs> like, yeah. to, which I think she says, like, something like tomorrow is another day or yeah. something like that. So it, it kind of, like, it's supposed to end on this weird kind of happy note, but but really, like, where they end up, and they're like, their marriage is sort of ruined. Is, oh, it's not great. Uh, yeah. And I think we should use that to start talking about her. Um, so I'll let you kind of kick that up with your impressions of Scarlett well, and even maybe just Vivian Lee's performance, wherever you want to go with that. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of said kind of what I have to say about it. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, obviously she's, well, I think it's interesting because the, the film. It, the amount of time that it spans, I think by the end, 
she does do a really good job of showing that she has sort of become a woman where in the, the beginning she is very much a child. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also interesting that her character, though she has become a woman, she has become sort of financially independent. She has had some sort of life lessons imparted on her. Uh, you know, she's gone through tragedy, she's gone through love and loss and all of that. Um, but she, at the, like her core of being just very, entitled as a person uh and i mean that's how she was raised i mean that's how this character has perceived the world um so it you know it makes total sense but she isn't always the most fun character to watch um yeah i mean you know it's certainly not a character i I identify with in any sort of way and and sort of again that's why i feel like ray is sort of a fun foil for her um i wish yeah what did you think i wish uh felicia or um another friend of mine were on the show with us so i could have them explain like why they identify with scarlet so much yeah because i don't want to say that it should be impossible it was just that i so much did not Mm -hmm. like she is a god-awful human being she is a terrible person and all of the things, so the other thing that I think is interesting, and I think there's totally room for uh, debate on it. I'm not saying my opinion here is the, uh, you know, end all be all, but I couldn't even pretend like I thought it was remotely feminist in any way, because it's like, yes, she gets to be kind of bossy and she gets to be in your face and she does what she wants to do and she doesn't take like she just doesn't take any shit from anybody and she gets to have like this business and the movie basically punches her in the face repeatedly for doing Mm -hmm. all of these things. Like her husband's die, her child dies, her, like her husband, when she realizes she loves him, leaves her. Like, so it's like, it's almost like it's trying to be optimistic at the end. Like you were saying, you know, she literally like looks up into like this sunny day and says tomorrow, you know, it's another day. There's always tomorrow. It's so hopeful about like, I can fix this. And mm-hmm. it's, I don't understand how to read it in a way that's not like we should all be laughing at her because it's literally <laughs> never worked out a single time. It's, yeah. She always just ends up alone and everyone is sick of her and leaves her like, so it's kind of like, yeah, tomorrow's another day, but honey, I don't think it's going to go that great. Like, I don't think it's going to be better than today. Yeah. Like I said before, I think the film does a pretty good job of at least at points, like not totally making her like the hero of the movie though. I, I totally agree. I don't think we're supposed to just like be in love with her and rooting for her. I think you know, she's complex and I think that's yeah. interesting. And I think that the movie tries to call her out, you know, when she actually just is being, you know, a petulant child mm. and she needs to grow up. Um, but I had, uh, basically, I, and I didn't realize this until today, which I find very funny because, uh, I love this other role so much, but apparently I prefer my, uh, Vivian Lee. If she's going to be a Southern belle, I prefer her crazy, in Streetcar Named Desire. <laughs> sure. <Yeah. laughs> Completely forgot that that was her. And yeah. I love that movie a lot. I think one of my favorite sections of the film are at, at the point um, when Rhett and Scarlett 
uh, are married. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the film really kind of takes an interesting kind of turn for, and I don't think it's very long, but it, it almost kind of becomes like, a psychological drama about like a marriage breaking apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that was a, something I wasn't fully expecting on rewatching the film. And I think was one of definitely one of the more sort of dramatically satisfying parts of the film, especially 100% since, agree. yeah, since it, it sort of, you know, followed up the, the conclusion of all the civil war bits, which were, um, <laughs> which, yeah, we're, and we've, we've mentioned there, there were definitely problems with, uh, how it depicts, uh, the war. So, uh, that was that. And, and I think that's where really Vivian Lee and Clark Gable are at their best in terms of their, their performances, uh, and where the characters were like, obviously the most flawed, um, but like in a dramatically satisfying way, like, um, they weren't flawed in, in terms of, you know, the, the story, not presenting them truthfully, but actually absolutely presenting them truthfully and, uh, just sort of seeing how their, their relationship was fraying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course you have the scene where <laughs> their, their daughter in the pony, which I don't think we have to <laughs> delve on too much, oh but there, there's definitely some, uh, some, <laughs> some camp, uh, some unintentional humor in that scene. Uh, I don't know if it was, I, I screamed. I was just like, are you serious <laughs> movie? And not because it looked so bad, but I was like, is this a joke? Like, Really, really, I, the pon- I, the pony kills their child. <laughs> I, I may have like remembered what happens in that scene um, from when I had seen it before, just mm-hmm. from like knowing the movie. But as soon as I saw her on the pony, I like knew right away, like, oh yeah, she's gonna die. This yeah. is gonna be, and I actually started laughing, which yeah. probably isn't the right response. Um, I mean, you're talking to somebody that kept cheering at the South's losses. So, I mean, to each their own. I also want to I want to call out one of the uh, things with Scarlett where uh, it's I think it's the movie trying to show her becoming the self-sufficient woman. And in typical uh, Gone with the Wind fashion, it chooses the world's worst way to show that where they're like, sure, we haven't acknowledged uh, that slaves picked cotton. But let's show how hard it is for Scarlet to pick cotton herself. Oh no, what a tragedy. She's really working. And I'm like, I do not care. I don't (laughs) care that she had to pick cotton for apparently five whole minutes. I don't. Movie, I don't care. Yeah. Jesus. (laughs) All right, well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with that, are there any other, uh, anything else to, uh, to mention, anything else on your mind, yeah. anything else you need to get off your chest before we wrap up I here? I mean, uh, I'm just going to hope that everybody's already read my, you know, first viewing piece, but, uh, spoiler alert, if you have not, here's my potentially upsetting takeaway on this movie in the canon. I don't think we need to watch this anymore. I don't think it should be required viewing in any mm. film class, basically at all. Unless it's, like, racism in America, then sure, you can watch it. But, okay. like, I, I'm i not saying, like, I would, and I say this in my piece very clearly, I would never say this movie should be banned for any reason. If you love watching it, then, like, have at it. Keep keep, keep watching it. Mm-hmm. But the, the collective um, sort of praise, not praise, but just, like, this reverence for it, 
and mm-hmm. hoisting it up so high on these like best movies ever made, best American movies ever, ever made. You've got to see these movies before you die. I just don't think it belongs on that list because I can watch Lawrence of Arabia, which is a hundred percent as beautiful, uh, mm-hmm. a gorgeous movie, a super engaging fascinating story full of great performances and it doesn't try and rewrite the civil war and make me feel bad that uh the slaves got freed so i'll just watch i'll watch that one i'll watch yeah. streetcar named desire to see vivian lee i can watch it happen to a night to see clark gable like i i just i just don't i don't think it has to be this thing where it's like you've got to see it because i just don't think you do like i don't think it's worth how uniquely terrible the racism in this movie is to say that anybody quote unquote has to see it mm-hmm. like sure there's value in it and i think our conversation has proved that there's tons to talk about and i am terrified of the hate mail from our five listeners they're very <laughs> mad at me for not liking this movie i'm really sorry uh except i'm not um fuck this movie but you know just like i just had a hard time and the, the way i phrased it is like i was trying to imagine you know being somebody who loves movies, who isn't white, being told to watch this in a film class and to kind mm-hmm. of ignore these parts of it and, you know, have to have these discussions about how really it is so great when it's just erasing this huge section of American history at will, like it doesn't matter. And I'm like, I can't imagine, like, I can't actually, because plenty of movies do that with women all the time. Like, oh, uh, yeah. yeah, sure, it's sexist, but you just got to ignore it. And it's kind of like, well, sometimes, you know what? I don't want to. <laughs> and I'm just going to say, fuck this movie. So I basically, anybody who wants a free pass to just never see this, I am handing it out to you. You don't have okay. to. Uh, well, I will say that uh, this wasn't a film that I f- was in any of, really touched any of the curriculum when I went through film school. So so that's definitely a good thing, I guess, in your, in your mind. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't argue or um, uh, quibble with anything that you said, because I think you know that is definitely a very viable perspective um, in terms of, of approaching this film. Um, yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would personally go so far as you put it, um, but I yes, I, yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. I mean, there certainly are. Uh, certainly are issues with the, with the film and how it, it portrays certain aspects of our uh, deep, dark history. And I think it, uh, obviously the worst sin is, as you put it, as you said, uh, sort of pretending like they were problems. Um, but definitely, like, also, as you said, um, if you approach this film, I think, in the right way, uh, you can definitely gain a lot of value from it. Exactly. So, yeah. So I guess that's a good way, good, good way to, uh, to wrap this up. Uh, you want to go ahead and, and give us our, our usual outro. Uh, sure. So I hope you've been reading all of our content and have been reading all of our content this week on www.thecinecentral.com. Um, John Kilpatrick, as far as we know, has still not seen Beauty and the Beast. So just <laughs> getting that out of the way, still hasn't Uh-oh. seen it. We're working on it. Um, thank you to the Hemingbirds for the use of our theme, theme song, um, Half a Second off the album, Half a Second. I could not get that sentence out right, guys. Ugh. Uh, and then follow us on, on, on Twitter. Send us some tweets. 
<laughs> as long wait, um, as long as they're not angry, tweets at me. Don't do that. I'm a sensitive flower. Do that to you, Sarah's personal account. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, at real Donald Trump. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening, Sarah. Thank you for joining me uh, for this conversation. It was a uh, it was a very good one, and uh, we will. We will uh, talk to you again all very soon. Bye.